Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Matthew Stafford, the erstwhile long-suffering Detroit Lions quarterback, got himself a Super Bowl ring yesterday with the Los Angeles Rams. We're going to talk today about that Super Bowl and how we, as Detroiters, want to feel about Stafford's success. Then, did you notice all the commercials about cryptocurrency during the Super Bowl? Yeah, we want to talk about that, too, for all the folks like me who don't really understand what that's all about. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. and Matthew Stafford sealed the deal. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The LA Rams and Matthew Stafford indeed sealed the deal yesterday at the Super Bowl on the largest football stage in the world. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals, sealing the second franchise Super Bowl win for the Rams, and the first, of course, for Matthew Stafford, who was for many, many years, from the time he left the University of Georgia, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Now, unfortunately, winning a Super Bowl was not something Stafford was able to accomplish during his 12 seasons here as a Lion. Now, in his very first season with another team, though, he is a Super Bowl champion, and he did it in a way that was so familiar to those of us here in Detroit who followed his career. With time ticking down in the fourth quarter, he found a way to drive down the field and get the ball into the end zone. It's classic Matthew Stafford, and so many Lions fans are feeling really happy for him that he finally got the chance to show the world what a great quarterback he is on the biggest stage in professional sports. But there have, of course, also been some haters and some naysayers here in Detroit, people who say he shouldn't have turned his back on our professional football franchise and on our people. That's where we want to start the conversation today. Are you happy for Matthew Stafford that now that he has found Super Bowl success in the first season away from the Detroit Lions. Were you rooting for him and the Rams in last night's Super Bowl? Or are you feeling a little jealous about that? Why should Rams fans get what we could never imagine here in Detroit while Matthew Stafford was our quarterback? And why should they get it in the very first season that he plays for their team? Here a lot of people asking those kinds of questions. I also hear people asking a more important question, I think, which is, what is wrong with us? What does this say about our professional football franchise? Matthew Stafford could have looked in the camera at any point this season when the Rams were performing at such a high level and winning so many games and said, hey, Detroit, it wasn't me. Our franchise is still stuck in the doldrums, in the absolute basement of the league. Our old quarterback is off winning Super Bowls. So what are we to make of that? And what are we to take away from what the future could look like here for the Detroit Lions? Joining me now to talk about yesterday's big win for Matthew Stafford and the bleak future for our own professional football franchise is John Neo, a sports columnist for the Detroit News. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. 
Thanks for having me, Stephen. So bleak future. You've already written them off <laughs> for next well, year? I'm saying, look, <laughs> look at what they did this year. <laughs> I, I, I don't see the opportunity for a whole lot more, but, you know, I guess you never know. And and just like all other Detroit Lions fans, come September, I'll be the one saying, this is the, this is the year. This is the, this is the time they're going to pull it together. I'm sure they'll get a great draft pick because they were so bad this year and I'll say well this is this is what will pull it all together for them and I don't know by Halloween I think I will have moved on to 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 basketball again uh because because I just don't see I don't see how this is going to get any better but but I, you know you're the you're the expert on sports is why we have you here <laughs> I want so, you so to tell me, ask, me, yeah. Yeah, so no, let me ask you the question, though, because you, you, you talked about it. There, how conflicted were you as you watched not just the playoffs, but in particular the Super Bowl last so night as I a Lions fan? Were you, were you openly rooting for Matthew Stafford and the Rams? Because I think a lot of people in Detroit were, and I guess I was a little surprised as the season went along as, as just how many – sort of sided with, with Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I, I absolutely was rooting for him. I mean, I, yeah. I, I was rooting for him more than the Rams. I mean, I, yeah. I don't have any real connection to that team. Uh, I, I also am a big fan of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I, I think that combo is so interesting because they played together in college and they played so well during the season. I, I, it would have been nice to see them come out on top too. I wouldn't have been disappointed if they had – one, but yeah, I'm, and that's and that to me. I mean, that's the sort of the natural instinct for the Lions, the you know the the lovable losers of the <laughs> NFL should have been to root for the Bengals, who you know prior to this year owned actually owned the longest playoff win drought in the NFL. That's um, right. That's right. Now, now of course that by one year over the Lions. Now that honor falls back to the Lions, thirty-one years and counting without a playoff win. And you know, yeah, the underdog. I mean, I think America obviously loves to root for the underdog, and I think most people. Uh, across the country were rooting for the Bengals last night because again, they, you know, they're the, they haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't. Right. Um, but you know, in, in Detroit, like you said, I mean, Matthew Stafford, he always took the high road when he was here. Um, he, did. he obviously didn't win the big games when he was a Lions quarterback, the Lions franchise futility certainly bears most of the blame for that. I think with the fan base and, and understandably so, uh, but you you mentioned it. He never he never trash talked Detroit on his way out of town. Obviously, he did a lot of great things here mm-hmm. um, in the community as well. He still does. Um, so I think people he was a, he's an easy guy to root for, yeah. and, and so Lions fans certainly for twelve years rooted for him week in and week out, and, and I think they were happy to see him have some success. But in the end, though, you're right. It's it's Detroit. You know, Matthew Stafford gets his his ring, and Detroit, the city, the <laughs> fan base gets more, you know, more pity and ridicule because you just hear it throughout the playoffs. In particular, every broadcast is like, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he finally has, you know, he finally has a team around. He finally has a chance. He fin- and, and that has to wear on a, a yeah. I mean, it, on, it, on a fan, it, it's really hard. I, I, so a couple of things I felt yesterday that I didn't necessarily expect to feel. One was this overwhelming sort of emotional kind of uh, joy and and uh, maybe elation even when when I saw him come out of mm-hmm. the locker room, uh, you know, leading his team onto the field. It was almost it was almost the way I think I might feel when and if the Lions ever get to that point. It, it, it just reminded me of how much I actually care about this team, this 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 Lions team that has has suffered so long and been so bad for so long. I just don't know what I'll do if the Lions go to the <laughs> Super Bowl. And I, and I think a lot of Detroiters probably felt that same thing when they saw Stafford. I mean, this was somebody that that we all kind of know who all of a sudden is there and none of us have ever been there. It, it and that's absolutely right. And he in a lot of ways he grew up in Detroit. I mean, obviously he didn't grow up in Detroit. He didn't grow up in Michigan. He grew up in Texas, but he was the guy who this franchise embraced as the guy who was going to, you know, the number 1 pick after the 0-16 season. You know the guy who was going to end the curse of Bobby Lane, uh, and and to his credit, uh, especially even though he had 
certainly a ton of struggles, especially with injuries. His first couple of years could couldn't really get on the field for a couple of years yeah. in, in many respects. He embraced it. He embraced the idea of, I mean, certainly we've seen other at number one picks who forced their way out of bad situations even before they got there. Um, John Elway, Eli Manning, things like that. And, but he embraced the, the challenge and the idea of being a Detroiter. I mean, he, he did a great job while he was here of representing the city, um, knowing everything that that meant. And, and so, yeah, I think people appreciated that. And then, you know, like you said, when he comes running out on the field, he's still one of us for a lot of Lions fans, I think. And so that, you know, Hey, if we can't do it, at least he can. And I think that was the general sentiment. I would say three quarters of Lions fans is, you know, it's a rough guess my, yeah. on my part, but it felt like most Lions fans certainly were pulling for him um, to win it all. And, you know, some I'm sure out of spite to say, look, the Lions failed him, not the other way around. Um, because he, you said it too, there were, you know, especially towards the end, there were people that were tired of Matthew Stafford not being able to win here mm -hmm. and wanted him gone and wanted him traded. Those things happen when you lose. Um, but now he gets the last laugh. And to his credit, like I said, he he's not going to be the kind of guy who's going to say, see, I told you so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with John Neo, sports columnist for the Detroit News, about Matthew Stafford's Super Bowl ring, which he acquired yesterday uh, by beating the Cincinnati Bengals in the, in the Super Bowl. Of course, he did not do that as a Detroit Lion. He did that as a member of the L.A. Rams. We're talking about... I guess how we feel about Matthew Stafford's success and what it tells us about our own professional football franchise, the long-suffering uh, Detroit Lions. Uh, one year away from being the quarterback from the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford manages to get himself a Super Bowl ring. What does that say about the team that we tried to put around him for the 12 seasons he played here. We want to hear from you as well about what your feelings are today about Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams. Uh, what were your reactions to the Super Bowl? How do you feel about this victory for Matt Stafford? Uh, and what did you think of what this tells us about the Detroit Lions? What does it say the problem is here and I don't think there's any other way to describe it as a problem, even if you don't care that much about football. The idea of that prolonged record of failure, I think, is notable uh, and, and worth thinking about. What, what could we possibly have been doing wrong for going on something like 60 years? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's uh, read some of our social media comments, which are already starting to pour in. Uh, Greg on Twitter says, thank God Matthew Stafford, unlike Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, didn't have to retire to escape the prison. That is the Detroit Lions. This is a pretty harsh assessment of, uh, of what we're doing here. Amanda says, it, it is the front office that is cursed. We get good, even great players, but can't make a team. Who steers that ultimately? The top folks in suits. Do better, Sudies. Uh, Tobias says, just goes to show you that Stafford is a Super Bowl-caliber QB, and the Lions could not build a Super Bowl-caliber team around him. Uh, so, John, I, I do want to talk just a little about the things that did happen while he was here. I always go back to the early 20-teens as the time when I felt like there was the most effort being made to put great players around Matthew Stafford. And if you go look at that roster, it's not just Matthew Stafford who's on it. Of course, Calvin Johnson is on that, uh, that roster. DeAndre Levy is on that last roster. Indomitian Sue is on that roster. Uh, there are lots of other players whose names we would remember pretty fondly and some who've gone on to, to do really well other places. So it's not that we didn't put a, quote, winning team or the, a potentially winning team around them. There's something else that we're not getting right. And, and I have never been able to figure out quite what it is, but, uh, but I wonder what, what you make of what we did 
to to fail Matthew Stafford in the twelve seasons he was a, a, a lion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And to to be honest, they haven't figured it out either. Obviously, so you're not the only one who's who's scratching your head and wondering. Um, and and fans don't want to hear this, the excuses, because certainly they've had you know six decades plus of excuses for why they haven't won a Super Bowl or even been to one. Um, but you go back to even when Matthew Stafford got drafted, it, the Lions had you know, the misfortune on top of misfortune of being a terrible team. This league is built to, you know, for parity. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you lose games, you get the higher draft picks. The Lions stretch of futility that, you know, the Matt Millen era, which we don't need to get into, but um, <laughs> they compiled all those top five picks. But at, at the time, there wasn't a, a salary, rookie salary cap scale. Um, so those guys came in. I mean, Matthew Stafford's first contract, I still remember the phone calls with the agents when this was getting done. And, um, you know, it was a record setting contract. And you had Calvin Johnson with a record. You had three high profile, you mentioned Dominican Sue, those guys ate up so much of the salary cap back when they were just building to a, you know, playoff contending team level Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they had a hard time building a team then around Matthew Stafford. They did. um, But once they got to 2014, it became really hard to keep it together. Now they failed in many ways. One was letting Sue leave in free agency to go to Miami, but um, they got to that brink of okay, now we're a contender. How do we how do we get over the hump? And they never got over the hump. And then, you know, there were mistakes, coaching changes, GMs get fired, all those kinds of things that stop a lot of teams when they get to that point. But the Lions, you know, hadn't been to that brink in in two decades. They got there, and then they could not get over the hump. And so then it's just been spinning their wheels a lot since then. And that's you know Matthew Stafford finally grew tired after two essentially two rebuilds saying, you know what, I've had enough. I'm 33, 34 years old. Mm-hmm. I got a bad back. This is my last chance to get out of here and get and go somewhere. Um, so they had a chance. They, they failed. I mean, 2014, they had one of the best defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Probably could have, should have won a playoff game in Detroit, in Dallas. You know, the flag gets picked up, those kind of things that are, you know, more Lions luck, I guess. But um, they were at they were at that point, and then they just you know they backslid like a team like the Lions does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with John Neo of the Detroit News about yesterday's Super Bowl win for Matthew Stafford. We're going to get to your calls next. Greg in Gross Point, Jason in Plymouth, Craig in uh, Crestview, Florida, and Jeremiah in Jackson. You're up first. Uh, If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. And again, you can always go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we can work you into the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDETM, Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is John Neo, sports columnist with the Detroit News, talking about Matthew Stafford finally reaching the pinnacle of professional sports, the Super Bowl, and actually delivering a win on that stage yesterday with the LA Rams. How do you feel about that? Are you jealous that uh, he did it for the team in Los Angeles and never came close to? doing the same thing here for the Detroit Lions. Also, what do you think this says about the Lions franchise and uh, where we are, what we might need to do to get to uh, that pinnacle of professional sports? 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Greg in Gross Point. Greg, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good, good. You know, see, we grew up here, and so we have a lifetime of of disappointment when it comes to the Lions. Misery. Uh, (laughs) But one of the things that, uh, two things that I really noticed about yesterday, one is is that I was kind of like cheering for Stafford when it came, when it it started, because I was like, yeah, man, you know, if we win, we can say, you know, at least 
he had to come through Detroit to learn how to win. <laughs> you know, is so that what he learned the, here, Greg? <laughs> I, well, you know, it's defeat after defeat. It's like you know, hey, I've got the grit to make it. You needed a guy from Detroit to get you across the line. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, these plays, and we got to the second quarter, and he threw that interception, and I was like, oh man, here we go. Once a lion, always a lion. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I think that's a really that's a really important part of the narrative from yesterday, which was. Matthew Stafford was Matthew Stafford in that game, and and yeah. the, both the the extreme the good highs and, the, bad, right? and the extreme lows. And I was like, "Well, this is this is who he has been as a quarterback his entire professional career." The difference was that everybody else on that team was able to to help pick him up after he fell down. So yeah, he threw he threw a couple picks, uh, uh, but he also threw three touchdowns and the right. defense played lights out uh in the fourth in the fourth quarter and John that's the that, that's part of the lesson here isn't it that that if you if you could have surrounded Matthew Stafford with enough other really quality players he would have done better here oh absolutely and you mentioned it i mean he has a hall of fame defensive player who makes the play at the end of the game and the Bengals very easily could have had enough time to go down and win that game and look like they might be at least going to tie that game Uh in the final minute there. But Aaron Donald, a guy not to, not to pour more salt in the wound, (laughs) the guy, the lions should have drafted could have taken 14. And there were people in that draft room pounding the table for them to, to draft him instead of Eric Ebron, the tight end in 2014. Yeah. He makes the play probably the last play of his career. I think he may retire Mm -hmm. um, to go out on top, but yeah, he makes the play to win the game. I mean, Matthew Stafford wasn't the MVP Cooper cup was, I think if Cooper cup hadn't been the MVP in the voting, I think Aaron Donald probably would have because of the way he played in the fourth quarter. And so that's what wins the game in the end, not just Matthew Stafford, but you know, any, and look, it's not just platitudes when he talks about it in the post game, this was a team win. This Mm -hmm. is a team. Yes, that's what you're supposed to say as a quarterback, but it was absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that that last two minutes, I kept thinking, guys, okay, how are they going to – they're probably going to figure out a way to lose it. That's what Matthew Stafford is used to, you know. But I, I, was, I agree with you with the, with, the, with the crook guy. I mean, yeah, he definitely – they pulled it off. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, great. Greg. I uh, really appreciate the call. Uh, let's go to Jason in Plymouth. Jason, what's on your mind? Hey, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for taking this this call. I, I tell you, I was watching that game, and it was a little bittersweet because I really wanted to pull for you know Matt Stafford, you know Odell Beckham, you know Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, the whole gang. But the whole time I was thinking, oh, there's the this. Kelly Stafford thing in the back of my mind. I'm thinking I'm just so tired of her, you know, messing things up for us. So with her comments and, you know, just she's not part of the game. And I was hoping that they wouldn't cover her so much, which they did at the end. I was happy for that so I could actually enjoy the good football. Is that fair, Jason? I mean, (laughs) he's not. I can can say honestly, Jason's not alone because I think, I mean, Matthew Stafford, (laughs) you know, refuses to be on social media, refuses to do anything, didn't even really do commercials beyond a Ford commercial here or there, whatever, a couple of goofy ones. But, um, but Kelly's more than made up for his social media presence during her time in Detroit. And I think fans, you know, for a lot of reasons, uh, grew a little weary of that. Um, I think LA fan, you know, LA's a much bigger market that can, uh, that can handle Kelly Stafford more than a, a market like Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I always think it's not terribly fair. No, to absolutely. talk about athletes' wives or kids or or family. But she made herself the story more say, often, she... more more than once, and I think that's where it comes from. <laughs> she kind of but, volunteered for that. But at the same time, you watch Matthew Stafford again. We watched him get married, have a family. Yeah, Kelly went through some pretty serious medical issues here when she was in Detroit, you know, toward the end of his time in Detroit. And to see them all celebrating him with his daughters, you know, playing in the confetti on the field, I know for a fact there's a lot of people who are Lions fans that, you know, probably got a little, you know, little teary-eyed even (laughs) watching that because it was. It was the culmination of a lot of things for him and his family there. Yeah, no, it really was. Again, Jason, thanks for the call. Let's go to Jeremiah in Jackson. Jeremiah. 
Welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve, for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Listen here, I, I grew up in Detroit, graduated from high school Persian. All right, so I'm a Detroiter. Yes. To the heart. <laughs> yes. It, you know, Matthew Stafford was nothing more than a token, no more than um, a token of the Fords, a token of the Ford family. You ever notice when we talk about Detroit Lions, the Ford's name never really come up? <laughs> Why is that? Now, here, then if we were talking about Dallas, we would hear Jerry Jones' name. So, if we were talking about the Patriots, we would hear Robert Kraft's name. If we were talking about Atlanta Falcons, we hear about the dude that owns Home Depot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as long as the Fords, the Detroit Lions is nothing more than a museum relic on the Detroit on the on the Ford family's mantle. Okay, if they wanted a winning team, they got the money. Mm, they okay? do. They got the money, but we never point the finger where it belongs. We'll talk about Matthew Stafford. We'll talk about all the woes of Detroit and how they're losing. But the the Rams pushed all their chips to the center of the table. And when they acquired Matthew Stafford, guess what? Guess what they said about Detroit? Them chumps. (laughs) They knew they got the better. They knew good and well that they they got the better. They took a gym right out of Detroit, right underneath underneath. I know this. <laughs> Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, I, you know, look, I, I, I know a lot of people who feel the way you do, frankly, uh, that and, and think that the Fords are are the problem. Um, you know, I, I, I'll leave it at this. The only thing that hasn't changed since the last time this football team won a championship is the ownership. I mean, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the one constant. Uh, we have tried everything else. They have moved stadiums even since then, uh, which in some cases seems to be the, the the igniter for some teams to to, to really, you know, step up their play. Uh, nothing nothing has ha- has worked here. So so John, is it fair to say that the problem is the Ford family? Oh, absolutely, it's fair to say. And 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 to be honest, we've been saying that for for. But 20, what is 30, the problem? 40 it's, years. But they're not it, cheap, right? I mean, they're not no, cheap. They, they've on the team. spent plenty of money. They just haven't done it wisely at times. Um, they haven't, you know, they were too patient, loyal to a fault for for more than a generation under William Clay Ford Sr. Um, and then I think, you know, we've had some family squabbles and everything else as the ownership uh, has passed through the hands after his death here. And now Sheila Ford Hamp is, is, is running the team. She's going to get a shot to do what her father and her mother to, uh, couldn't do as, mm-hmm. as owner. But yeah, no, they have, they have been, like you said, the, the mainstay, the constant throughout their 60 plus years without anything to show for it other than one playoff win. And so that absolutely the blame falls there. And he's right too. Look, and it's not just the lines now that are, sort of under the gun when it comes to what, what the Rams just did, which was, I mean, they were ridiculed around the league for mortgaging the future for, for just going all in. I mean, they have their last first round draft pick was, was in 2000. It was actually Jared Goff in 2016. Mm-hmm. who's now the Lions quarterback because they've just traded them away to, to, to build this team that just won a Super Bowl, And so now all these other teams have fan bases saying, look, they could do it. Um, it's sort of like the way the NBA has gone with, you know, super teams and, and, and owners just going all in. Well, they, they did in Los Angeles. Why can't we do it here? And I think there's going to be a lot of owners now feeling the pressure to do exactly what the Rams have done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we go, Joe in Detroit, uh, who's on the line, Wants to talk about uh, what what should happen to Matthew Stafford. Uh, Joe, go ahead uh, with your question. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I um, so Matthew Stafford has some pretty great numbers, and I'm wondering if this Super Bowl win puts him into the Hall of Fame conversation. See, I think Joe, I think Matthew Stafford was already uh, probably headed to the Hall of Fame. If you think about the other people he played with, uh, Calvin Johnson. Just got into the Hall of Fame. He never, he never won a playoff game, and never went to the Super Bowl. So why wouldn't Stafford? But, but John, this is this is your area of expertise. Is is Matthew a a gold jacket guy, as they say? Well, he's definitely in the conversation now because when you win a Super Bowl, I mean, I think there's I don't know twenty some quarterbacks that have gone number one overall, and only six have 
have won a Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. it's names like Peyton and Eli Manning, John Elway, Troy Aikman, so Terry Bradshaw. So um, he's definitely in the conversation. Part of it, he's going to play. He's going to have numbers that are, you know, in the top whatever mm-hmm. five all time because of his age coming in, the amount of passes that he threw in Detroit. Uh, he's going to have Hall of Fame numbers, and now he has that validation that very few guys get, which is a Super Bowl ring. And so, absolutely, he'll be in that conversation. It'll be interesting to see how long he plays, but it'll also be interesting to see. I mean, they went all in on this team in, in Los Angeles. Can yeah. they can they remain a, a you know a championship level team here for the next two three years? Because if he wins another one, he's in for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, John Neo. Always great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about something you may have noticed during yesterday's Super Bowl, all the commercials promoting cryptocurrency. So I'm going to talk with a University of Michigan expert about what we should all know about crypto, its promises, and some of its risks. I have to say up front, I don't know everything I should about this really popular way of investing. If you're like me, stay tuned. You're going to learn a lot more about what crypto is and what it means to our economic and financial system worldwide. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So, did you watch the Super Bowl commercials yesterday? If you're like me, you noticed a lot of ads that might have looked weird just half a decade ago. I'm referring specifically to the ads about cryptocurrencies. And I actually was taking notes yesterday while the Super Bowl was playing on some of the ads that I saw. And I was surprised by some of the people they have in these ads. You had TurboTax promising to help you figure out how to file your taxes if you have income from cryptocurrencies. Larry David, one of my favorite actors and comedians, was there talking about yet another form of of, of cryptocurrency. LeBron James had a commercial where he was both himself now and himself as a young person, talking about cryptocurrency for Crypto.com. So this is a really big deal. And it also occurred to me during the Super Bowl that I just don't really understand enough about this. I consider myself a pretty informed guy. It's my job here on Detroit Today to know a lot about a lot of things. But this whole cryptocurrency thing has really escaped not just my attention, but again, my understanding. And so we want to talk a little more about that. What is cryptocurrency? What does it mean for our economic and financial system? And if you're investing in cryptocurrencies, how safe is it? How does it compare to the other ways that uh, those of us who have money to invest try to get good returns? Joining us now to talk more about what cryptocurrency is and what we should be thinking about it is Andrew Wu. He's an assistant professor of technology and operations and finance at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Andrew Wu, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, good morning, Steve, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. It's uh, it's great to be here, and again, you know, great programming today. <laughs> A month ago, I wouldn't I wouldn't think Matthew Stafford. And Bitcoin, we belong in the same conversation, and there we are. After watching the right. ad, same as you. Okay, here we are. Maybe you will hear more of that That's from right. now on. They were both big headlines yesterday. Absolutely. So, so again, I'm watching these commercials, and I, I have this kind of nagging feeling the whole time, going, I don't really understand what they're telling me to do. 
or what they're talking to me about. So let's start here. What are cryptocurrencies and how do they work? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so typically when I'm asked about this, right, you know, what is a crypto and how do they work, I, I give either a technical answer or a business answer. Um, now I haven't had enough nearly enough coffee this morning to start boring our listener with technical <laughs> jargon just yet. So, so let me share my definition of cryptocurrencies from a conceptual business point of view. Okay? So, you know, starting with Bitcoin about 15 years ago, we now literally have thousands of cryptocurrencies of all shapes and sizes uh, on the market. But at a high level, they all work pretty much the same way. So in essence, a cryptocurrency is just a type of virtual money or make-believe money, if you will, where all of its transfer activity between users are publicly recorded in an online, quote-unquote, database called the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So to give you an analogy, uh, do you play video games, Stephen? Sure. Yeah, you know, you know they have those online video games with those in-game money, right? Those in-game gold coins mm -hmm. where players can use them to pay each other to buy and sell those in-game items. So conceptually, a cryptocurrency is very similar to that kind of gate money, just with a few operational tweaks. First tweak, number one, as opposed to a single video game company running the system, all of the transaction records of a, of a cryptocurrency are going to be stored, spread across a network of many, many connected computers. Okay, so think about independent contractors who are paid periodically in the same currency to store this data. Hmm. And this network is called a blockchain where these connected computers collectively work like a public database for transaction records. So this is where the decentralization aspect of cryptocurrencies coming from, comes from. So there's no single entity controlling the system. Now, second tweak, and this one is important. Uh, your, your game money can only be used in the game, right, you know, for transactions within that game. But people have built a separate industry for cryptocurrencies called crypto exchanges, where cryptocurrency can be listed and traded with real money on these exchanges, just like you know, stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about how these are traded in a bit. But right away, you can see that this introduces a whole new speculation motive for these cryptocurrencies, right? I mean, conceptually, these are the same as game money, you know, virtual units of account that don't really have any intrinsic value. But since they are freely tradable on the secondary market, they can be bought and sold just for speculation purposes. And, and their value is just whatever the next buyer believes it to be. Mm. And that's why you see, you know, most of these cryptos have huge volatility. Their dollar price is going up 10, 20% a day. And that's because their valuation is entirely based on investor sentiment and human psychology. And we know that human sentiment can be quite fickle. You know, so in this regard, these crypto assets are, are kind of similar to gold. You know, as an asset that has no intrinsic value, and whose value is whatever people believe it's worth. So I tend to call this class of crypto assets gold 2.0, essentially a digital gold that's traded 24-7 and which demands you know, much steadier nerves and tolerance for high volatility. Yeah. So, yeah. so listening to you describe that, uh, for me, that sounds more rational perhaps and more secure than the way that governmental currencies, for instance, are produced and maintained these days, right? Uh, most government currencies, at least ours here in the United States, not tied to anything anymore, right? It's not tied to gold. It, it is tied to really just the guarantee that the government says uh, it, is, it is giving to that currency and they can produce it when they want. Uh, they can not produce it when they don't want. And there's, you know, the value of that currency goes up and down with, uh, you know, with, 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 with those decisions. Is that, is that the right way to be looking at this then? Is, the, is it that this cryptocurrency, quote unquote, is a better way to exchange, you know, things of value in, in, in our world than, than regular currency. Right. So, you know, this is what, how these things started anyways, right? So, so a couple of years ago when Bitcoin first started, the original goal is exactly that, right? To, to replace fiat currency, you know, as a way to, for people to pay with each other just as a medium of payment. But that has mostly failed, Stephen, uh, because the, uh, it turns out that the network, you know, the blockchain, that's supporting these cryptocurrencies, 
uh, that is incredibly inefficient in actually processing any sort of scaled up payment activity. So let me give you an example. Right? So the Bitcoin, this is the most popular one, um, the peak transaction capacity is seven transactions per second. So, so that's nothing right, compared to our standard you know, Visa or mm-hmm. cri- credit card networks. Uh, and that is all because of the technical design of the blockchain. Because a blockchain is, a, is, a, is, is not a single guy, not a single server. It has to, all the data has to be shared across a large network of computers. They have to be spread across that. So that, by design, makes this an incredibly inefficient process to store any, any, any data in a real-time, scaled-up setting. So uh, as a result, you know, most of these things are relegated to this Go 2.0 process. Is that, well, you know, maybe, although I'm not going to use it for payment, maybe I'll use it as a store of value. Maybe the next guy can buy it from me at a, at a higher price. Mm-hmm. And that's just why most of these things are, are uh, you know, their, their core function today is basically more of a speculative vehicle. And in terms of security, you know, they're not necessarily as more secure as the fiat currencies because, well, you know, although the government currencies are backed just by empty promise from the government, this is, this is backed by nothing, right? This is backed by an algorithm. So, and, and, and this is a free-to-play game. So everybody can, can, you know, we can issue a cryptocurrency in about five minutes, and then everybody can come in. Uh, so there's no restriction on who and who and can or cannot participate. So yeah, so this is going to be a little bit right now. It's a little bit of the wild west yeah. in the crypto world right now. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily safer. It's, there's be a lot more risks in this asset class compared to some of the others that we're more familiar with. Like and and about. that risk exists now in part because it's new and it's kind of finding its legs. Do you feel like in the future, this is the kind of currency that will be seen as more stable? Will it perform more consistently uh, as, it, as it grows and as more people uh, become involved in, in investing in it? And will it, will it in some ways, I guess, displace the, the, the position that fiat currency holds in, in the world today? Good question. Um, yes and no, right? So, so in the future, I do see that you know the cryptocurrency can be an asset class for people to invest in. That could become part of people's average investment portfolios, which is actually what they're trying to do right now. Is that they're starting to occupy a niche in people's uh, portfolios. But on the other hand, um, they're probably not going to replace these national currencies because the you know all our governments have a very strong incentive to not let them do it because this, there's no regulation on this cryptocurrency asset class as of now. So if you're, if you're a government and you, know, you say, okay, I want investor protection. I want people to really understand what they're getting into. So I'm going to start regulating this space. And that's what, you, what we're seeing right now is that we're starting to see market regulators across the world taking a much closer look at this technology and what exactly it's doing, how that relates to people's investment uh, decisions, and they're starting to put on either restrictions or guidelines or regulations in this uh, in this asset class. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to be part of the investment portfolio for a lot of people, but I don't think just by the technical design of this current, you know, uh, of these currencies, they're going to be replacing the fiat currency anytime soon. You know, just you're not going to you're not going to use something that goes up and down in value like twenty percent a day as your uh, main to you know, go to currency, right? So there are some replacements. There are some additional ones. Um, you know, the newer generation of blockchain platforms like Ethereum that support things like stable coins. So you know, that addresses some of these issues. But these are so far very, very new, and they're still a tiny little niche product. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Andrew Wu. He's assistant professor of technology and operations and finance at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. We're talking about cryptocurrency, which if you were watching the Super Bowl yesterday, you had to notice all of the commercials about cryptocurrency. Uh, I think just a few years ago, when you, you never saw a commercial for something like this. Uh, we decided that this was an opportune time to dig into what cryptocurrency is, what the risks are associated with it, and what effect it may have now or in the future on other forms of currency, uh, government-backed currency, for instance, which is what uh, most of us are still 
using for our transactions. As always, we want to hear from you as well. What do you have? Uh, what questions do you have about cryptocurrencies? Uh, what's your involvement? with these digital currencies? Are you invested in things like uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Or are you somebody who's kind of skeptical about this, maybe because you don't know a ton about it yet? Uh, Are you sitting on the sidelines waiting to figure out what exactly is going on uh, before you might invest your money? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put a comment there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Hunter in Detroit. Hunter, welcome to the show. You there, Hunter? Hi there. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I had to get you off a speaker. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disgusted at these centimillionaires like LeBron and, and uh, Larry David going on and uh, getting people to try to, to so-called invest in this stuff, because it's not investing. It's a, it's a pyramid scheme that cycles because the prop because it goes up and down, and you only make money on the arbitrage. Uh, but I bet they made more money being paid to do the commercials than they have invested in this stuff, because it's really junk. And and if, when the whole system collapses, the small investors are the ones going to be holding dust. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, so... Uh... Hunter, that's a—I mean—it's a pretty dim view of 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 cryptocurrency, and I'm not saying it's—I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I do think it's it's a little bit uh, um, extreme, perhaps. Uh, but but I do I do agree with you that it's odd seeing these people who who you admire or or, or like or, or or patronize in some way. Talking about this thing as though they are enough expert to, to to tell you how to invest your money. There, there's something a little strange about that for me. But but Andrew addressed this question of whether this is a pyramid scheme um, and and whether it, it it'll all collapse at some point and and poor people will be left holding the bag. Sure. Yeah. First of all. Don't invest based on what you hear from the advertisements, right? So, yeah. You know, celebrity endorsement has been around for a long time for all of these kind of newer things that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. So, so I wouldn't invest anything based on any sort of these advertisements or so-called advice from these uh, celebrities. Now, um, so, so uh, as regard to the pyramid scheme um, kind of co- comment, uh, you know, so it's actually – kind of true in the sense that the, these cryptocurrencies, as, as Hunter said, have zero intrinsic value, right? So it's mostly just make-believe in a sense that, well, it's the value of these things is just whatever the next person believes it to be. So, you know, in, in sort of finance terms and asset pricing terms, the price of these assets are not going to be determined by some sort of economic fundamentals, but almost purely by investor psychology, you know, so, so which, again, are, are extremely volatile. Mm-hmm. So if you are thinking about investing in this asset class, here's my advice, right? So and you think about, okay, so how much I should put in? Now, suppose you put in some do- dollar amount into this asset class, and it goes to zero the next day. Are you going to lose any sleep over it? Right. If not, that's probably the amount the optimal amount for you to put in. And, you know, if you're like most people, that amount should be fairly small, right? So you want to bet the farm on a, on, on a single cryptocurrency and definitely not buy something that you didn't do any research in. Mm. So, you know, for any of these, um, I would start by looking at what exactly is this cryptocurrency or, you know, the kind of crypto asset blockchain products. What exactly is it doing? So if you if you can't even find out about that through like Google search or something, that's uh, you should not get involved or invested in this asset. Yeah, know know what you're doing before you you risk uh, something that you're not willing to lose. That's great. That's great advice. Again, exactly. So so and as Hunter said, you know he's uh, Hunter's actually correct in the sense that the vast majority of those crypto assets don't last that long. So we have thousands of these, right, floating around of all shapes and sizes in the market right now. But for a lot of these, you know, what happened is they, they're launched. You know, there's great fanfare, you know, a lot of hype coming in for a, for a month or so. You know, price went through the roof, and then this thing just phased out quickly after that. Because, again, there's no regulation. So you have to be very uh, aware that you're getting into a market that is not regulated, and this is almost like the full Wild West situation. Yeah, so yeah. be very careful 
about what you're getting into yeah. and, and just do your due diligence like yeah. any other asset class. Right. Sure. Okay. Uh, Hunter, thanks very much for the call and the question. Let's go to Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey, hey. I, I think it's a real interesting topic. And uh, I think uh, Bitcoin is uh, specifically one to consider above all the other cryptocurrencies. I think it has, you know, better qualities. It's, it's more decentralized mm-hmm. than all the rest. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it might not have the explosive returns that all the cryptocurrencies do, but I think Bitcoin is safe as bad for most people. Hmm. Uh, and, and so are you investing in Bitcoin, Anthony? Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> you don't want to say, huh? Okay, that's fair. Um, so, but I, I love this point that, uh, you know, like many things, there, 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 there isn't one way to assess all of these things. You got to look at them specifically. Uh, Andrew Wu, is there... Is there, I guess, a key that you can use, you know, other than what you were just talking about, to determine uh, which one of these makes makes more sense than than the others? We've only got about uh, thirty seconds left, but I want to get your response to Anthony. Sure. Yeah. So Bitcoin is the largest, right? So again, you would you could evaluate them based on how large the underlying network is, the blockchain network is. Bitcoin is the largest, so in, in a sense that it's least is least likely to fold up, right? But for the smaller ones. I would not get involved. So my sort of, if it's just the, you know, one criteria is I wouldn't get into anything that's outside of the top 20 in terms of the cryptocurrency asset class in terms of market cap. Only play with the bigger ones and then only do, only get into that once you have done your research about what are the risks of these, uh, uh, of the cryptocurrency is. Yeah. Okay, Andrew Wu of the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Really great to have you here with your expertise for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with writer Zachary Carter about our booming economy and why Democrats don't want to take credit for it. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to the news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.